everybody. Welcome to the official Screenwriting Podcast. I'm Adam Levenberg. This week, I will be talking mainly about The Green Inferno, Eli Roth's new horror film, and also where ideas come from. I want to just touch on that for a minute. But first, Welcome to Me is a movie that is available on Netflix, and it stars Kristen Wiig as a mentally ill woman, probably, I believe, with bipolar disorder and several other uh, mental problems on top of that, who wins an $86 million lottery and creates her own talk show along the lines of the Oprah Winfrey show, except it's completely fucking bonkers. And it's a really fascinating piece. Um, I f- think a lot of it is absolutely terrible. It wastes some really amazing talent. Um, you can watch the film and try to figure out what the hell Tim Robbins and Jennifer Jason Lee were doing there. But One of the things that I would like to recommend it for is that it totally ignores a lot of what we get from Save the Cat because she wins the lottery immediately. They never set up her life. And if you've read Save the Cat, you know that winning the lottery is the catalyst. It's the page 12 moment. And remember that previously people would have said, oh, that's the end of the first act. No, it's not. That's old school thinking and we don't like to do that here. You know, this is a page 12 moment that happens immediately and then they start introducing the people in her life and how she relates to them. There is a terrific performance from Kristen Wiig, and there's a lot of genuinely funny stuff in there. I found a lot of it amusing, and I watched it until the end. But I think that the movie itself is kind of a disaster for a bunch of reasons I'm not going to get into today. Next up, where ideas come from. Before I saw Green Inferno, they showed a trailer for Victor Frankenstein, which is a new movie that is literally Sherlock Holmes with monsters. And it just looks like Sherlock Holmes. Even the shutter speed work that they do looks like the action scenes from Sherlock Holmes. I mean, it's so much like Sherlock Holmes, you think they probably are paying Guy Ritchie some sort of royalty off this film. Because even though it's from a different studio... The film itself is Sherlock Holmes with monsters. That was the pitch, probably, and boy, did they not deviate from that take, as far as I can see from this trailer. You know, Victor Frankenstein is a movie that is from Max Landis, who is also known for writing American Ultra um, and did the amazing uh, film Chronicle. Victor Frankenstein is a perfect example of how studios work and how it's a screenwriter's responsibility to recognize the landscape of what types of projects the studios want and then to reinterpret previous stories to fit what works for the modern. And when I say modern, I'm not talking about 2004 modern or 1998 modern. I'm talking about what audiences want and what studios want to buy, you know, in 2015. Eli Roth, who knows the world of horror, and by the way, Cannibal Holocaust is not digging deep. That is not a deep cut in terms of horror cinema. That is a very, very famous film for a bunch of reasons, not only because it's a seminal piece of horror, but also because it sort of exists to inspire projects like the Blair Witch Project and all of the found footage movies that we have now. We even have The Visit in uh, theaters from M. Night Shyamalan, who's taking his crack at that subgenre. So Cannibal Holocaust was a forerunner to those types of movies. And and it inspired Eli Roth to write The Green Inferno, 
which is essentially Cannibal Holocaust with a narrative, with a hero. And the interesting thing about that is that's not the first time that happened. I mean, that's essentially what War of the Worlds from Steven Spielberg was. It was an update on a very raw but popular idea that was reinterpreted as a film narrative with a hero, with a goal, and so forth. In this case, of course, the goal in Green Inferno is simply to survive. Let me just show you up front. I am a really big fan of Eli Roth. I am not a fan of incredibly gratuitous horror. I prefer when violence is implied. I do not mind blood. But when it comes to things like stabbing, I'll watch a knife go into somebody and not really flinch. I'll watch somebody get shot. But when things start getting, you know, when body parts are being cut off or hacked off, it starts getting a little bit difficult for me to take. I did take it, though, because I really appreciate Eli Roth. I kept my hand over my face for the things that were a little bit too much. And that works for me. Here's what I like about Eli Roth. He is a filmmaker who really understands setup and payoff. And it was interesting to watch this film where each item that comes into play, you can kind of see when it's introduced. So these are the things that you really should look out for if you see this film. First of all, watch for all of the food and the eating that goes on before they go down to South America. Almost every scene revolves around food and consumption. Um, also, watch for the way that Eli Roth is sort of interested in bodies. I mean, we watch bodies literally being torn apart and eaten later in the film, but he's sort of playing with that early on. And actually, I would have liked to have seen a little more of that, which I'll get to a little bit later. So let me just talk for a second about the opening shot. It is... Aerial footage of a rainforest and the helicopter they were filming with, I presume, was just following a river with these just bright green, lush tropical trees alongside this river. And right after the director's credit, we hear a drum beat. But instead of cutting to a tribe in the middle of this uh, rainforest, instead we pull back to reveal that we're on a college campus and in the midst of a protest rally where somebody is drumming. And I think that that's a really interesting way in. And it shows something that I like about Eli Roth, which is that he is often playing with our expectations and then somehow undermining them. He thinks a lot about how he will move from scene to scene, how he ends the scene and how he will begin the next one and often creates a match cut. Uh, sometimes he uses sound. I mean, these are not things that are exclusive to Eli Roth. They're simply tools that I think good directors show um, and put on display. Eli Roth is also really interesting when it comes to setup and payoff. And it's one of the reasons that I think I admire him as a director, because when you watch his films for the second time, especially if you watch them in close proximity to watching the first time, you can see a lot more. You can see how he is approaching all of the plot twists and turns and events that will come later. For example, our hero is shown in a university lecture, and the professor is talking about female genital mutilation. 
And, you know, I think it's interesting because, one, it's informing the audience of something that not a lot of people are aware of. It's instilling some sort of social consciousness because nobody could learn about this without thinking that it's a completely barbaric and horrible uh, procedure that is done to women against their will all over the world thousands of times per day. And here Eli Roth is putting that in our face and showing us pictures of it which I admire the hell out of because this is a movie that is about cannibalism. The audience knows what they're in for. So I kind of like the playfulness of showing something and informing them and really grossing out the audience in a way where you're like, wow, I really didn't want to see that. But yet at the same time, you're in a film where you're going to be later sort of enjoying uh barbarism that is completely staged. So I found that interesting. The way that Eli Roth gets out of that scene is that the lecturer moves on and she's talking about ants. She says, and then there's the ant this or that. I can't remember the name for it, but I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. It it just struck me strangely because I was like, what kind of professor would be talking about female genital mutilation and then switch over to something with ants. But later on, one of the characters is tied to a post and covered in some sort of food and ants, which if you've seen the movie, I was not impressed with the CGI ants. But then ants sort of swarm up his leg. It's a form of torture that he has to experience while still alive. Two notes pop into my head from this film. I don't think I talked about what the concept is. It basically is about a group of New York college students. Uh, The hero is a freshman girl whose father works at the UN and... They are environmental activists who go down to South America in order to help preserve the rainforest against construction companies that come in, tear down the rainforest, and either build on the land or rape the land of its resources and so forth. So they are going down to expose what is happening to the rainforest uh, as part of a viral media stunt where they're going to be hacking into a satellite, they're going to be holding up their cell phones, and they believe that their cell phones will provide them with protection because the entire world will be watching and who's going to shoot them or harm them if they know that they're being filmed doing it. So they go down to South America, they They survive that viral stunt. There's a fun little twist that has to do with the hero that I won't get into. But then on the plane ride back, they're on a little propeller plane. There's a little bit of an engine mishap, perhaps. And they end up in the midst of a plane crash. And those who survive the plane crash are then captured by a local tribe that is basically completely shut off from civilization. These are people who run around in loincloths with their bodies painted, they only have spears, uh, they live in huts, and they like to eat people. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of offensive in a way, and in a way it's not actually wrong because it's based on several incidents that have happened when well-meaning white people end up down in the Amazon and come into contact with the wrong tribes. Um, And by the way, it works the other way, because often Americans will meet tribes that don't try to eat them, 
and then leave behind disease and wipe out the population, which is interestingly something that has, this has nothing to do with anything, but interestingly, it's a great ethical question. Do we leave these tribes that we know are there now because of satellite footage and so forth? Um, do we contact them? Because we know if we do and we allow any of them to leave, uh, they have a 50% chance of dying from diseases that they just are not currently set up in terms of their immune systems to fight off if they were to enter society. Just to even visit a big city, half of them would die. So it's an it's a interesting ethical quandary. Neither here nor there. Okay, so there's two notes that I have about uh, the way that all of this stuff is handled. And one is that because so much of this film is sort of about bodies and bodily functions and the breakdown of society that happens when you leave the city and the primalness that occurs when these characters are put into a situation where they're watching their friends being torn apart and eaten. When the group is captured, by the way, they're put into a cage. And one by one, each day, the villagers come, they pick out the one that they want to eat, they and then basically hack them apart right in front of them. So I would have liked uh, something earlier about, there's a scene where our hero wakes up and her roommate has her boyfriend in the bed with her. And I was thinking like, wow, I'm surprised that they're not commenting on this or that, you know, our hero could have made some sort of comment about privacy or about, you know, please don't have sex with your boyfriend in front of me or while I'm sleeping in a bed five feet away because it's really awkward. Um, and sort of really touch on their boundaries as human beings in terms of the way that they see their lives and their zones and boundaries as city dwellers. And then to contrast that with what happens later, once they're in the cage, one of the characters has, you know, explosive diarrhea uh, and has to do that in front of everybody and is humiliated by that. Another character starts jerking off in front of everybody to relieve stress. And these things that would often be private are now sort of brought right into the open in a way that, you know, the film is is trying to express. So I think that it might have been interesting to at least touch on that. What I just suggested in terms of the roommate is merely a suggestion. And often that's the kind of note that I'll provide to a writer or a writer director that then they can use to say they can either use the note itself or they can say, okay, well, I get what you're saying. And then they come up with some stuff that works for them along those lines. The second thing is that I didn't find the preparation of the bodies very interesting in terms of the tribe uh in terms of how they ate them you know there's the best scene in the movie hannibal which of course is the sequel to silence of the lambs where hannibal lecter has kidnapped one of his enemies sedated him put him at a dinner table and is basically slicing off pieces of his brain while he is still alive the character is played by ray liotta and we see that ray liotta's skull has been carved off basically like a lid like a pot lid Hannibal removes the scalp so he clearly had done the cutting earlier and the brain is exposed and then he's got a little server station where almost like a little omelet station in the room where he's slicing off pieces of the brain cooking them right there and then feeding them to the person he's cut them from he's feeding Ray Liotta his own brain. I thought that was really interesting and grotesque, of course, but it was a memorable moment. 
And I think that, you know, it would have been interesting to see them do more with the bodies as opposed to just hack them apart and throw them in the oven, which is what happens here. One other thing that I'll talk about is the boundaries of a hero. And this is something that I haven't totally thought out, but it's it's something that writers need to be aware of. When I talk about the boundaries of a hero, I'm going to give some spoilers here. Not that I imagine anybody's going to see this because the movie only made $3 million opening weekend. But we see, you know, that our hero is at risk of experiencing female genital mutilation. She sees that there is a girl in the tribe who had this done to her because the girl's knees are bound together, which is what we're shown earlier on in terms of what the post-operative procedure is for these people, which is they hack apart the external genitals and then tie the girl's knees together for a couple of weeks and hope that she survives. You know, there's no antibiotics in this scenario. So we see the girl is sort of painted in a certain way, and that's what they do to our hero. And that is the risk, that she is going to be mutilated like that. And, of course, that brings us to a scene where she's captured, and then she is laid out on a table with her legs basically tied open, and we know what is coming because the earlier exposition has shown us about this this mutilation. And I was thinking, wow, could they do this? You know, I've just seen people being ripped apart. I've seen some of the most barbaric shit I've ever seen in a feature film. And I'm wondering, could they do this to a hero? So I was wondering, could they show this? Or would they do that to a hero? Because they would do it to a supporting character. I had no question about that. But would they do it to a hero? The answer in this film, no. She escapes. And immediately after escaping, her friend, who is tied to a pole... And he's not just tied to a pole. He's not just left to starve or uh, die of dehydration. One of the tribe members walks up with something that's like a club and basically just beats him up and down the body, breaking all of his bones. His arms are broken. His legs are broken. His, you know, ribs are all broken. He is not getting out of there. Oh, and then, of course, this is the same guy. After they've broken every single one of his limbs, they then apply a paste to his body that attracts ants so that ants basically are crawling up his body and feeding on him. He is in a really bad situation, and when she gets to him, she says, look, I'm going to go get help. And he's like, kill me, please kill me, because I, I've actually never seen a better example of somebody who just, if you were in that situation, you'd want to die. He does not want to hang around any longer there, and nothing good is going to happen. I've never seen such a great example of somebody where if the hero had killed him, it would have been such an act of mercy that you totally would have gone along with it. But here, they, he doesn't make the hero kill him. Instead, she's kind of let off the hook because one of the child tribe members, and the kids, by the way, are not as crazy as the adults in this movie. The kids are a little bit more, hey, aren't you another human being? Uh, in any case, one of the kids kills him as an act of mercy, which gets our hero off the hook. So now we've shown that she has not been mutilated. She isn't forced to kill her friend. And then there's a third decision that she makes near the end where she will leave somebody behind to die because the guy who is left in 
the cage at the end is just a horrible human being uh, who got them into this situation and has shown not only no regard for his friends, but even actively prevents somebody else from escaping so that he is not eaten. So when she has the opportunity to help him escape, she chooses not to and leaves him behind. So if this movie isn't for you, I still recommend reading some articles with Eli Roth. He's got some interesting perspectives on horror and on filmmaking. That's all for this week. You can buy my book, The Starter Screenplay, on Amazon.com. Also, check out my website, officialscreenwriting.com. That is where you can hire me to read your script. Uh, I do notes on it. I will talk to you about it. We talk on the phone. It's a great uh, process. But also, you can hire me for a concept consultation. So in the case that you think of a film like Cannibal Holocaust and say, hey, what would happen if we updated this? Uh, for 2016, we would spend an hour on the phone just talking about that. That's all you would have to do. Um, and bam, we're on the phone and we're talking and we talk about, well, who would the hero be? Would it be a girl who's in college or would it be a 25-year-old male journalist? Or And sometimes batting around ideas like that to figure out sort of what, one, the genre sort of requires, and two, what would make for an interesting narrative. And then we talk about how to build that character. And that way, when you go off, you might even then write a treatment and come back and we do a, a quick consult on the treatment so that you're really on the right track before you write a screenplay. I'm Adam Levenberg. Thanks for listening. 